Welcome to the Brentwood Youth Soccer Club podcast, developing players and developing people. Hi everyone, welcome to our first Brentwood Youth Soccer Club podcast and of course we have the legendary Violet Smith on the show. Violet talks a bit about her background, her family and Brentwood Youth Soccer Club. There's so much to talk about that we'll end up doing a three-part series. So this is the first part of three. It's really, really insightful. We're excited about the show in general. We're going to have different people on each show. We're going to talk about development. We're going to talk about nutrition, psychology, um, a bit of everything. So it's going to be very educational. We're going to talk about um, the pathway to college soccer, the pathway to professional soccer, and so on. So really excited about this show. So after the break, we'll have Violet Smith. Violet, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Kevin. Uh, thank you very much for having me. So, Violet, you're a living legend in the world of youth soccer in America. So I'm really excited about this show. So why don't you start by just giving our listen listeners a bit of a background about yourself, where you grew up and how you first got into soccer? Well, I don't know about, you know, being the legend, being a legend, but uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, um, well, I grew up in Haiti and um, the time that I grew up, there was no other sports except for soccer. And um, so we, you know, developed the love for the game. And uh, we have always been, uh, you know, great fans of um, Brazil and, and Argentina, actually. <laughs> Ask any Haitian, they'll tell you that, you know, if they have to pick, you know, a country, they would either pick Brazil or Argentina. Um, but um, when I was growing up, um, soccer was not really for girls, um, like to most families. They didn't want their girls to play soccer or for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> but um, those of us, you know, I mean, that really love the game, we find a way to get involved, you know, whether it's after school or during study time, or should I say what it's supposed to be study time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we, we find a way, you know, I mean, to, to do um you know to get involved you know with soccer however we can get it but um you eventually it, made your way over to america then obviously yeah and then you know later on you know in uh later on in life and um uh, things have changed um i believe i used to come here like you know visit to visit you know i have friends and family you know before i decided to stay and um and i remember being um on the first flight um to us right after the coup um you know the baby doku i don't know if you know that story yeah yep. <laughs> so but it was supposed to be temporary and, uh, you know one thing led to another has life change and you know and I ended up you know uh staying and here I am <laughs> it's yeah, been like um almost 40 years actually 
Wow. Um, and yeah. I'm sure time has flown as well. So, I mean, coming to America, were you surprised kind of where soccer was at? You know, what, what it surely wasn't as big back then, but it was starting to become big, correct? It was starting, you know, I mean, to um, to get uh, big. Um, it, it's just that, you know, I mean, for us at the time that we call ourselves, you know, foreigners. <laughs> yeah. At the time, it was always uh, surprising, like, you know, when the parents, when you hear parents say, oh, no, I'm going to sign him up for football. I'm going to you know, the American football, then, or I'm going to sign him up, you know, for basketball. And I'm like, what about soccer? <laughs> you know, of course I say football. They say, oh, American football. I say, no, 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 no. Football. Like, well, yeah, what you yeah. call soccer? <laughs> you know? I always find it strange, Violet, that they called it football because they throw and catch. They don't kick. They don't I use know, their feet that exactly. much. You know? The only thing they did with, I mean, the only thing they do with the ball, it's like, what is it? After they they uh, have a touchdown and they they do that kick, you know. Then they kick it, yeah. But primarily they're throwing and catching it. You know, I mean, I never understood that, and uh, I I never actually um, develop any appreciation, you know. I mean, for that kind of football because I'm like, why do they call it football? I mean, you don't use your feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would respect all the sports here, but they're just, obviously our passion is, is proper football. Absolutely. I mean, of course, you know, I mean, you, you, I know some parents, you know, end up uh, when you have children and at the end of the day, it's going to be what the children want to do. But in my house, um, it was kind of limited to soccer because I guess, you know, it's the way uh, um, we feel about, you know, football. And uh, of, of course we, you know, we, those of us, you know, uh, that yeah, love the sport, you know, would like our children, you know, to play it. And, um, and then that's how, you know, uh, well, that's not how I got involved. It's just, uh, uh, my uh, oldest son, you know, started, um, we signed him up, you know, here in Brentwood. Um, he was about five or so. And um, <clears throat> he's 35 now. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then I'm like, you know, we try to talk about, you know, I mean, talk about, not just talk about it, but, you know, kind of encouraging it. And um, we signed him up even you know, when we don't have practice, you know, we have a backyard, throw the ball, you know, I mean, just, you know, play around, you know, with, um, with them. And then, and uh, then come Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, like, same thing, you know, we sign him up also. And, um, I got involved, you know, with, you know, when Andrew started playing, because I, I remember he, he was five also. And, um, we had a coach in Intramural, but he was a hockey person, you know, former hockey player and um, didn't really, um, I, I don't want to say didn't know anything about soccer. I don't want to say that out of respect, but it just didn't really care for soccer, but. Yeah, it wasn't part. It wasn't part of him. He probably didn't grow yeah, up as a, yeah. as a soccer person, but your sons and, were extremely talented at soccer. Was that because they, 
obviously they had natural ability, but was it because they started so young and you talked about them playing outside of training, probably street soccer as such? Was that a big part of it? Um, I would say that. I would say that has, you know, um, something to do with it and uh, and also have him, you know, play with his older brother. And I remember when um, he was probably, what, seven, eight, and um, his um, brother was like about 14, I, I mean, 13, 14. And um, <clears throat> when I send them in the backyard, you know, to play and he would come and say, oh, you know, when he's not being fair, you know, he's pushing. I'm like, so it's a contact sport. So men up. Yep. And I'm calling a seven and eight year old kid to men up. <laughs> but I find, that I find that being a bit of an issue in American soccer where, everyone always plays age appropriate. Now I understand playing age appropriate, you know, on your actual travel team and on weekends, but training and playing outside, one of the best development tools is playing against older people as you're talking about your sons competing against each other. Absolutely. And, um, and I ended up being his coach because that, that coach um, or the daughter did not really like soccer and uh, that same season she ended up you know quitting and the father who was a volunteer coach I mean like you know me (laughs) um, asked me you know if I could you know from time to time he was asking me can you cover me can you cover me and I'm like okay sure Um, how he asked me because he, he saw me you know I mean work you know with Andrew and you know, a couple of other kids just kicking the ball around and stuff like that and then he asked you know uh listen can you cover practice for me and I'm like yeah sure can do it and the next thing you know by the end of the season I was the coach <laughs> I was the coach of that team so yeah I've been coaching Andrew since he was five years old and um <clears throat> yes he he did have other coaches of course <laughs> Uh, he had other coaches, you know, because he, uh, both my kids, you know, participated in the ODP program and, um, and, um, Andrew actually, even though within the club was playing up with an, uh, another team in the club. Um, and then I remember when the coach asked me, uh, do you mind, you know, if I really would like him to play with us and blah, blah, blah. and then I'm like, Andrew, do you want to play with uh, older kids? And he said, sure, I don't have a problem with that, but do I have to leave my team? <laughs> yeah, now you mentioned, Violet, you mentioned ODP there, the Olympic Development Program. That was the top, top select program back then, Chris. It's a bit diluted was, now. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a really good program. This was the time, like, when uh, national scout, you know, um, were all over the place scouting, not you know, ODP to the state program, to the regional program, and um, and to be invited, you know, I mean, to national camp, and um, and that's how it started, you know, with my kids, and you know, with that uh, program. So I'm I'm not gonna say, um, I'm not gonna say this was a bad thing or. Well, yeah, I mean, every system has their flaws. Sure. But um, it was really a good, uh, it was a good program until then, then the DA came, you know, and I remember I 
you know, would get a phone call and say, oh, you know, I know we've been watching, you know, your son, yeah, to the regional, you know, uh, camp and stuff, but I'm telling you, uh, you need to put him in the DA because this is where we, we're going to, you know, invite the players, you know, to national camp. And I'm like, really? I mean, how, how are you going to... I said to myself, and I said, I'm like, oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, I'll guess, you know, I'll talk to him about it to see if, it's, if he wants to join. And, and I'm saying to myself, like, how are you going to limit your scout when you know, everybody knows that not all the best players are in one program? So if you really want to you got to do some legwork yeah there is some legwork that's i don't believe in just recommendation you know because recommendations you know can be biased i i i believe that you know i mean you know the scout should be out there you know yeah i totally believe in that violet and I, i think it's important to touch on that you know you can get recommendations, that's great. Mm-hmm. You can get video footage, that's fine. But as mm-hmm. a scout, and I've scouted myself, as you know, for Manchester United over here, mm-hmm. we would go to game after game after game. We would watch players 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 times live in person because that's where you really see the value of a player. The video footage is just to give you an insight to the player. The recommendation is fine if you trust a person that recommends them, but it's just a rec- it should be just a recommendation to go and watch them live, correct? Yeah, ex- exactly. But um what I what I have a problem, well, let me not say problem, it's more like a dilemma. Uh, when it comes to how soccer is being um, utilized, you know, um, for other things, you understand? It becomes a business. It becomes uh, yeah. like, I mean, it, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's sad because, um, you know, obviously it is what it is, but um, I would think like, you know, a country like United States um, would put more into identifying players, not not for individual, you know, interest or benefit or, you know, for what they can make out of, you know, that. Yeah, well, I think that is the issue, Varda, because, you know, the academy system, okay, it's fine. There's an academy system there. But unfortunately, in America, there's so many different leagues. There's so many different platforms. And the parents get confused about where their kids should be. And ultimately, the kids should be in an environment where A, they're wanted. B, they're getting developed the right way. C, they have a club that actually cares about the player, which we'll, we'll touch on that later, how Brentwood Soccer Club really cares about their players. But what really is an issue for me, and I'd like your opinion on this, a lot of these so-called... Uh, DAs, it's now the MLS Next, as we know, they're charging big, big fees for the kids to play there. Now, how can you have the so-called elite paying such massive fees to join the clubs? It doesn't make sense. I mean, the way the DA started, it, I, I think it, 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 it started with good intention, okay? Yeah. The good intentions because um, Let's say you take, you know, the professional clubs, like the MLS clubs, 
you know, I don't believe these clubs, you know, charge the families. But uh, once you get into the private sector, the private, the, the, the private academies, or they call themselves, or the private groups, clubs, okay, um, they have to be able to maintain, you know, this um, level, uh, you know, with hiring, you know, I mean, the right coaches, the travel expenses, and, you know, um, you know, even the facility trying to, you know, I mean, uh, set up, you know, training in, in a, in a, in a very good environment, you know, that also include the facility. Um, obviously, um, the way it's set up, it's, you, 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 you have, as a private club, how are you going to take players for free? How are you going to not charge? I mean, I understand it both ways. You have to charge because obviously you got to pay. You have expenses, you know, to pay. My problem is that, okay, if it's going to be extended to the private, you know, uh, I'm, I'm calling, you know, those clubs or academies, private sectors. I'm not referring to the, you know, uh, professional soccer clubs. Yeah, I understand. Um, yeah, and at least give them the tools. I mean, I was involved at one point, you know, I mean, with the DA, you know, uh, um, stuff and and what they call scholarship. <laughs> it's like what they offer for scholarship can't even, you know, uh, cover anything. It can barely cover uh, 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 two trips. I mean, and we're talking about like, you know, the showcases like they used to, have like in Arizona, Florida, and I think they were also in Texas um, to set up, you know, some uh, showcases, you know, in there. So it barely covers um, the those showcases, and that player still, you know, need to train. So you still need to hire, you know, qualified, you know, quality coaches. Not just qualified, but also quality. Uh, 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 coaches, you know, to coach the team. I mean, at that level, and um, I don't think I, I don't think there 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 uh, was enough help, you know, to keep it to try to minimize, you know, this pay to play thing. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's that's what that's what also watered down, you know, the DA because. You have um, you have clubs, you know, that do not have the financial backing um, to support, you know, I mean, uh, the program, you know, at no charge to families. So they have to charge, and uh, and when they give a scholarship, they have to actually take more players that can pay in order to cover these expenses. Yeah, I mean, it's a vicious circle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm not saying that you know. I mean, um, there weren't good intentions, but it's the execution. You know, was so so bad. You know, and has no support really because you can't say you are against pay to play. And then you're doing this and that, but yet you provide no financial support, you know, to um, not eliminate per se, but to minimize, 
the number of the pay to play. And the minute that, you know, I mean, you have that, then some clubs, you know, have to go to survival mode, you know, um, how do you survive? Okay. So instead of, you know, I mean, taking um, 18 players. So now I have to boost up, you know, have a roster of 30, you understand? So that, you know, I mean, we have enough payers to cover those that are not paying. Yeah, to make it work e- economically. It yeah, it, it, it is. It's tough. It's a vicious circle. Now, Violet, just moving on to mm-hmm. Brentwood Youth Soccer Club. Um, you know, it's a such an amazing club, genuinely. It was the first club I ever got involved with when I first came over. I've always kept in touch. I've always in some way been involved. It's, a, it's what I would call a real football club. There's a real football culture. The kids love the game. They play outside of training. There's so many volunteers that give up so much time. You've got mm-hmm. great coaches. You've got fantastic facilities. Um, talk a bit about the club, where it's at now. Talk about the facilities and how you actually got to a stage where you could have facilities like that because there's very few clubs that have those facilities. Okay. Um, in terms of um, facilities, I mean, I don't know if I um, mentioned that to you before, uh, we've been we have been in existence since 1974. Yeah. Um, we may not be the oldest club on Long Island, but our club, you know, um, been uh, um, been a, you know we've been um, here since 1974. But even before we became a club, and it was really from the school, you know, um, you know, we still we had soccer you know, in school, and and this is how, you know, uh, the uh, teachers and coaches, you know, I mean, volunteer their time and and do these things until, um, as uh, I I believe half of the people that formed the club, you know, were from the school district. Um, I don't have a name, you know, for you right now, but, um, um, but that's how I know that the club, you know, started as a club. And um, we started that using, you know, the school um, fields, school properties, and um, that parcel where we are um, used to be, um, you know, it, 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 there was nothing there, okay? And that's part of uh, Pilgrim State Soccer Field. I mean, Pilgrim State, uh, Pilgrim State of uh, Department of Mental Health, New York State Department of Mental Health, and uh, we. Uh, with the support of uh, um, late Senator Tronzo and late Senator Johnson, we made a request to Office of Mental Health, you know, for us to use that parcel, you know, for soccer fields. And that's how we have that parcel, you know, I mean, um, for us, you know, I mean, to play since then. And that was in 1978, when we actually get full authorization to use that. That's why you don't see other clubs there because it was something that was for the community to be used by the community. And it started out like that. And um, we needed a government agency to, oh, you know, be the manager or oversee it because we are a private organization. And uh, Office of Mental Health didn't want to deal with that directly. Um, that's how the town of Islip, you know, got involved. Our uh, president at that time um, went to town of Islip and they agreed to 
you know, oversee it. And we did uh, put uh, 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 some um, baseball fields there, you know, just, you know, I mean, to invite the other part of the community that don't play soccer, you know, uh, to be make to be part of it. And that's how, but over the years, um, things have deteriorated, you know, at the, at the, at the field. And uh, we needed, we needed help. We needed to get it done. But before that, um, back in 1998, uh, when the state put uh, the Pilgrim, Pilgrim uh, um, Hospital for sale, and um, uh, this parcel is part of, was part of that. And uh, of course, you know, I'm pretty sure people can research it. And so how the community come out together. And I remember I was a coach at that time, um, uh, uh, intramural coach that was. Um, we, we all came together, you know, to uh, stand up against this cell you know, of the parcel that we, we call, you know, that we call our home and uh, became our home. And that's where our kids play. We don't go anywhere else. We don't have, you know, so we were against that. And um, uh, Mr. Jerry Walkoff, I mean, he passed away last year. Um, he's the person that purchased the land um, the property, I would say, uh, from uh, the state. And after all this, you know, uh, um, not just petition, but the, the community that went against the, 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 the parcel being part of the sale, Mr. Walkoff understood what that piece of property meant for the community. And he agreed to take this off the table take it off the table, take it off, you know, I mean, the sale package so that it could remain the community feels. It could remain a place for the children of the community. That's something that, I mean, I know we have had a lot of help, don't take me wrong, but that gesture from Mr. Walkoff, you know, God bless his soul now, that gesture, I mean, is the heart of everything that not just we stand for but what this mean to us and and that would never have happened if he did not take it out i mean the guy was a developer he built things to make money okay and taking that away so it's not part of the deal it's not part of the deal thing because somebody else could have purchased it <laughs> and making that kind of a arrangement that kind of agreement hey we have to leave this for the community i think that was gold that's an amazing and, gesture mm -hmm. and i think it's important for the the families and the players of the club to understand who he was and appreciate that yes. as well Absolutely. So, i'm sorry go on violet Oh, um, um, no, absolutely. Because um, as a matter of fact, when um, there were something, you know, um, some people who obviously did not understand what this piece of property meant to us, and um, they tried to uh, get the state, you know, to put 
you know, the other part, the grass part, you know, I, you know, like as an RFP so that, you know, they could build it to bring their own stuff there. And that's something that the community and the soccer club and its members would never, never, ever, ever stand for, you know, um, how did it become a state park? It became a state park after Mr. Walkoff, you know, decided, you know, not to do that and they agreed. And what's next? Okay, fine. It stays for the community, but at the same time, that piece of property, you know, uh, needed improvement. And that's when uh, late Senator Johnson and late Senator Tronzo came in. And, um, you know, um, we, in fact, Brentwood Soccer Club was the one that submitted the schematic, you know, on what we want, what we wanted, you know, I mean, for this thing as, you know, improvement. And, um, but uh, the senator said that, you know, the only way they can get us, you know, the money to do what we need to do if it goes under parks and recreation. And then they could allocate, you know, the money to do the improvement that was needed. And uh, what that so part of it we still do, we still need it. Um, but that's how it became in 2003, it became uh, Brentwood State Park. But it's not like a regular state park. We are not Hector Park. We're not Sunken Meadow. We're not Johns Beach. You know, it's it's a it's a different type of park for us you know um it's it's our home it's our field so you know <laughs> it's so fantastic I, I love going out to the field it's just a, it's a real home a lot of amazing oh, people there oh, so, so oh. Violet we're, this is going to be a two-part show because we've so much to talk about so we're, <laughs> we're coming near the end of part one but before we go I want to talk a bit, in part two, we'll talk about the players and the development model and the philosophy. But just mm -hmm. to kind of wrap up this part, I mean, mm -hmm. one thing I've noticed is every time I go to the field, you've so many great people involved in terms of mm -hmm. coaches and volunteers and board members, people like Eric, people like mm -hmm. Love, and so many more people that mm -hmm. are so invested into the club. It's a real family. Talk to me a bit about those people who put, and yourself who put so much time and effort in um, where do you guys get the motivation and, and the energy? Because there's a great energy around the place all the time. <laughs> okay. Um, Kevin, we will always be energized when it comes to the children in this community. Um, without going into a lot of stuff, I could tell you that it has not been easy for our children. And, um, you know, sometimes you know making fun of whether um because they're speaking spanish um or you know uh for whatever reason whatever reason i mean don't take me wrong there are a lot of great people a lot of great people um outside of course of the community but we also have to deal with a lot of um <laughs> undesirable individual. I say the word in undesirable for lack of a better word. Um, so we feel that, you know, if we do not put the energy, if we do not, you know, do everything we can to make life easier for our players, for the kids in the community, who's going to do it, Kevin? Who's going to do it? All um, people People 
want what's best for themselves. Okay? What make their club better? What makes their team better? Especially the way it is out there, like they have almost like they have to win to impress parents. They have to win, you know, I mean, to show that they're the best. You understand what I'm saying? They're the better. So come to us and this and that. But um, we, what we do here, we develop our own. We do what's best for our children because we feel that if we don't give it to them, yeah, they can be, um, I don't want to use the word exploited, okay? Uh, because when when team or coaches or interested parties uh, want what's best for themselves, they don't really care about the individual players. They just want they just want what they want to show what they want to show. We are more than that. We are we we um we try to establish a sense of family, a sense of belonging. I don't want the players that gate they don't need to look over their shoulder they don't need to wonder who's gonna look at them the wrong way who's gonna tell them they don't belong here okay and um it's the ugly truth okay and i'm not playing race card or anything like that i know what i have to deal with i know what's been thrown to my face i know what's been thrown to my players and my coaches so i don't need to use anything, okay? I don't need to use some false, you know, uh, um, uh, whatever, <laughs> I, I can't get the word. But what I mean is that, you know, we need to feel home. We need to make our kids feel home. That is why Brentwood always, always, you know, strive to, give our kids a platform where not only feel secure, but also they can improve, they can progress, and they can compete with anyone. Violet, you're an absolute inspiration, as are everyone else involved in that club. Really appreciate you coming on the show today, and we look forward to part two. Thank you, Violet. You're very welcome, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. (laughs) 